The day we burned a piano. I stood in the empty living room staring at the piano. When my parents died, I sold the farmhouse and now was clearing it out for the new owners. The gathering cold of autumn seeped into the unheated room. The temperature was penetrating and raw. I remembered that about my parents' hobby farm, too hot in the summer and too cold in the winter. Phil, the neighbor at the end of the driveway, had always stopped by when he saw my parents' car. Now he recognized mine. He stood next to me along with his teenage son. Both wore stained Carhartt jackets and cracked work boots. Both cheeks bulged with chaws of tobacco. Phil lifted a cup to his lips, spat into a brown swill, and passed the cup to his son. On other trips, Phil had helped me clear out some big items. Old bed frames and bedding were contributed to charity. I didn't know what Phil did with the old sagging mattresses. I had taken most everything else, storing pots, pans, toasters, and other appliances in my basement. I even took a roll of wax paper home with me. The only thing left was the piano. It wasn't worth much, and Phil couldn't find anyone to take it. It was a player piano my mother had bought at a rummage sale. You inserted a paper roll of music with punched holes that corresponded to the vented holes in the motor. The motor turned the roll and blew through the aligned holes to activate the piano keys. The keys would dance along on their own. What was I going to do with it? We stood and stared. Heavy seconds ticked by. Phil broke the silence. Let's burn the fucker. His voice echoed in the living room emptied of life. Discolored patches on the wall outlined family pictures. Dead flies and one moth dotted the windowsill, and a tendril of clump lint hung from the overhead fan. Weak afternoon sun highlighted a vast collection of dust motes. Phil's solution hung in the air. Then his son and I spoke in unison. Yeah, let's burn it. I had spent the previous months in my parents' suburban home, sorting through a lifetime of memorabilia and detritus, and I had grown accustomed to tossing. If the piano had been the first project in the great unraveling, I would have treated it with tearful reverence. Now it was the last item on my punch list. Okay, I'll bring the truck around, said Phil. I got a ramp, and we can push it out the door and take it over by the barn. I regretted my impulsive agreement. My mother's life was defined by her love of music, and now I was going to burn up its very symbol? Phil, go on ahead. I'll stay back here and sweep up. Burning solved my immediate problem, but I didn't want to bear witness. Earlier that month, I had declined the mortician's generous offer to watch my father's cremation, and I didn't see any reason to change my attitude towards immolation. Phil spat in his cup again. What the fuck, Liza? There's no more shit to clean out. Little shit and I need your help. If you ain't going to help, at least pack up all those piano rolls. We can use them for kindling. My parents had grown accustomed to Phil's language, so distinct from their polite suburban world. He turned his efforts into nouns, verbs, adjectives, and adverbs, strung into a grammatical tangle that would delight a linguist. I never knew Phil's son's real name, since he always called him Little Shit. But the nickname was used with good humor and affection. Little Shit always beamed in Phil's presence, and Phil often put his hand on his son's shoulder. One of Phil's great skills was he knew when to clean up his language. He didn't swear in front of children, nor my parents' suburban friends who came to visit. But when he was with them, he just let it rip. My mother once told me, 
Listen to Phil swear. Isn't it marvelous? They viewed Phil's language in their presence as acceptance. I definitely caught the roll of music Phil tossed at me. It was Roll Out the Barrel, my mother's favorite. Phil and Little Shit yanked the piano from the corner and started to waltz it across the floor. Phil, careful, I warned. Don't scratch the floor. Ah, hell, ain't going to make no difference. Rug's going to go there. Only a tight ass would care about what you won't never see. Phil was always one for the practical point, so I let the two of them push and pull the piano towards the back door. I began to gather up the piano rolls as they fell off the top of the piano and found another dozen or so stuffed into the piano bench. Beer barrel polka, tie a yellow ribbon, and the other honky-tonk cowboy tunes my mother collected. My mother loved sharing her joy of music, but she never considered herself a musician because she couldn't play the piano. The player piano bridged this gap. At family events, we stood around the piano singing old favorites like She'll Be Coming Round the Mountain. She'd sit on the bench with her back as erect as a pianist while the grinding huffs and puffs from the piano's machinery moved the keys up and down the scales. Over the years, the piano rolls became ripped or misaligned, sometimes playing the wrong note, sometimes no notes at all, spewing forth a musical gibberish that matched my mother's deteriorating mind. The piano hadn't been used in years. My thoughts drifted back to the colorful 15-year chapter in my parents' retirement. They bought this weekend hobby farm in Wisconsin, an hour and a half north of their lifelong home. Neither had any farming skills, but they warmed to the idea of a unique project to fill their empty nesting days. Their farmhouse sat atop a hill overlooking a small pond, where their grandchildren spent many afternoons on a rope swing hung from an overhanging branch. They grew some feed corn and raised a few beef cows. My father liked to point out that the money he lost on the whole operation was tax-deductible. Phil worked at a nearby factory, but on the weekends he helped my father out. He knew how many cows to buy, what kind of feed to buy, what model of tractor to buy, and when to send the cows to the butcher. When a cow died in the barn, Phil knew how to summon the renderer to pick up the bloated corpse. Phil knew how to snake a toilet, but also how to fix a snake. He was a boots-on-the-ground problem-solver. When my father arrived on a weekend, Phil would hand him a list of chores. I remember my father wearing his trademark crisp khakis and cable-knit sweater, shoveling shit out of the barn while Phil supervised from the fence. What the fuck, Ralph? Put that crapload of shit over there! He barked and then spat. My father would look up, a piece of straw stuck in his hair, and dutifully sling manure to the appointed spot. His khaki pants became stained and worn. His hands cracked and calloused. The whole time he worked the farm, his hands were never completely clean. But his standard was now Phil's, and that was good enough. After a career as a salesman with demanding clients, he appreciated uncomplicated physical labor. After his life of physical labor, Phil relished his role as a supervisor. Phil taught them how to play euchre, which replaced the bridge and backgammon of their other life. One Christmas he made my parents a large wooden model of a wagon to house their liquor. On the side he used a wood burner to etch Ralph and Fanny's booze wagon. My parents always kept it showcased on the coffee table. On my first clean-out trip, Phil watched as I carefully put the booze wagon in the front seat of my car. My father would have looked to Phil for practical advice on the piano. I imagine Phil expanding on his advice. Shit, Ralph, what the fuck are you going to do with such a crap piano? Let's burn it out. 
and like me, my father would have smiled and agreed, grateful for Phil's brilliant plan, a solution we never would have thought of ourselves. Who burns a piano? Well, why not? I found a couple of paper bags wedged next to the refrigerator and jumbled in the piano rolls. I was just able to carry them in one load with my eyes barely peeking over the top of the pile. Phil was right. They would make good kindling. The paper was dry and crispy, though I wondered about the plastic pieces at the end of the rolls. I walked gingerly over the newly frosted lawn, enjoying the homey crunch of the grass. The setting sun splayed orange and crimson over the horizon, bracketed by banks of cobalt clouds. I followed the tire tracks of Phil's car around the corner of the barn. The farm was too hilly for high-efficiency farming. My parents knew that, but they weren't in it for the money, and thought the rolling terrain might make for some good cross-country skiing in the winter. The tire tracks looked like they were following an abandoned ski trail. I came over the top, and there were Phil and Little Shit wrestling the piano out of the truck. It fell with a splintering thud into a small pit filled with white fluff. Phil, what's going on? Have you burned other stuff here? Remember them mattresses you asked me to get rid of? Turns out nobody wanted them. Don't blame them. They were crap mattresses, all lumpy and shit. So I decided to burn them. Didn't quite work because it started raining. Phil saw me looking at two plastic chairs sitting at the edge of the pit. Yeah, Marie thinks I'm some sort of pyrotechnomaniac, whatever that is. But hell, she likes to come and sit with me out here. Loves a good fire. Little shit, go get mother. Let's get this piano burning. Put up a hell of a blaze. It'll finish off the mattresses, too. Phil, mattresses have springs in them. What about the motor in the piano? That's not going to burn. There's a motor in the piano? So that's what made it so fucking heavy? Well, hell, I can bury the leftover shit. The piano don't have rubber in it, does it? That'll make a hell of a mess. Stinks, too. I guess we'll find out. Hand me the kindling. I passed the piano rolls to Phil, who stuffed them inside the piano. He perched the piano bench on top and added more rolls to its compartment. Phil, how about if we put the rolls on top of the pile and then unwind them down towards the ground? Then we could watch the fire start from the bottom and rise up to the top. Marie arrived with little shit. Each was carrying a plastic bucket they turned over and sat on, leaving the chairs for Phil and me. Damn good idea, Liza. What's the name of that thing they do someplace else, where they make big fires instead of burying people? They do that in India. I worked around the circumference of the piano, stringing the rolls from the top of the piano down to the ground. I put the loose end of the roll under a rock. It looked more like a maypole than a pyre. Phil poured gas around the base and sloshed it on top of the piano. Okay, this should really blow. You want to light it? Let's each light a few of those rolls at the bottom, I told Phil. We stepped back, sat on the chairs, and watched the fire creep upwards. Phil reached out to hold Marie's hand. His other rested on Little Shit's shoulder. The flames shot up when the fire reached the gas-drenched wood. Sparks blossomed into the air and gently flowed down like a fountain. Phil reached over and flicked a spark out of my hair. We moved our chairs and buckets back from the edge. That's a great show, ain't it? said Phil. I nodded, took my gloves off, stretched my hand to the warmth of the fire. A small plume of black smoke rose from the side. Phil, I think those keys were coated with some plastic stuff. Lots of felt in there, too. Don't know how that'll burn. More gas. Always works. Mother, did you bring the milk cartons? He turned to me. She collects them from her job at the school cafeteria. We use them to make fire bombs. 
Phil poured some gas into the pint wax containers and carefully crimped the top. He handed one to me and I followed his lead, tossing it high into the fire. The flames surged up, lighting up his face and casting a flickering light on Marie's. I heard a pop and then a twang and then a whole jumble of noise. Phil, that must be the piano wires popping off in the heat. Best music I've ever heard from that piano, said Phil. The piano sputtered again and we all joined Phil as he clapped. We then sat quietly watching the slumping piano. Burnished red embers emerged at the base. I thought of my parents' funerals in the fancy suburban church with the large soaring stained glass windows, overflowing bouquets of flowers, a congregation dressed in coat and tie, a minister intoning some blessing. I had spent days organizing music, flowers, food, housing for out-of-town relatives. Everyone said the same thing, that it was beautiful and that I was a good daughter. This was better. Phil finally spoke. You know, I loved your mom and dad. All I ask is that people treat me fair. But why the fuck is that too much to ask? When I heard rich people had bought this farm, I thought this is going to be totally fucked up. But your parents, well, nobody like them ever respected me. We were friends. Phil pulled a flask from a hidden pocket in his Carhartt jacket. Your father gave me this scotch. I never drank that fancy stuff before. Let's drink him a toast. He tossed back a gulp and passed the flask to me. I wanted to wipe its lip clean, get rid of any residue of his chaw, but I pressed ahead and tilted my head back. The burn in my throat was comforting. Fuck yeah, Phil. I passed the flask to little shit, to Ralph and Fanny. We didn't say anything else. The sun set, the fire set, and the chill set in. We picked up our chairs and buckets and walked back to the house. It was awkward to say goodbye in the driveway, all of us realizing we'd probably never see each other again. I gave each of them a stiff hug, drinking in their blend of scotch, fire, tobacco, and hard-working sweat. I got in the car, drove down the driveway past their tiny house. I turned to take one more look and saw a last spray of sparks.